don't just bypass that regulatory agenda, read it, uh, read it, and it is negotiable. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. I am thrilled today to have one of my partners, Christine Wortham, that uh, has joined me at Nelson Mullins at the same time, basically. Christine has a, a great, great resume and also a long history with dealing with these type of compliance-related issues, especially with value-based compensation arrangement, which is going to be the topic of our conversation today. So, Christine, just give us some background about you and your focus of practice. Sure, Bob. So, yes, I joined Nelson Mullins at the end of August. I've been practicing law for 25 years. I started as an ERISA and tax attorney and then migrated over to the healthcare space. And from there, primarily healthcare regulatory. And I have a niche, so to speak, in managed care contracts and the shift to value-based reimbursement. I've been focusing on that since the Affordable Care Act went into place in 2010. Um, and I've been working in that space ever since. So I've been able to see the ev evolution um, over the past you know, more than 10 years at this point. So I'm glad to be here. Yeah. And, and you've been in-house counsel. And how many years were, were you in-house counsel? So I was in-house counsel for maybe a, right around 10 years. Yep. And I, and I think that that's something that's unique about Nelson Mullins, that we have individuals like Christine, myself, that have actually had that in-house experience. So we understand sitting around the table with executive leadership and trying to understand these issues and how they impact the organization. So, so let, let's shift to value-based reimbursement. So what are the recent trends that you are seeing uh, in terms of payer negotiations from a shift from value-based reimbursement as opposed to you know, reimbursement based upon production? Sure. So I think when all of this got started, there was a big focus on giving providers a small payment amount per member per month or PMPM to do things like care management and starting to add on to traditional hospital quality programs. And what I've seen over the years across all the commercial payers and especially, you know, looking at what CMS and CMMI are doing is that they're pushing, they're do, there's more of a push to um, take on some risk 
um, and you know, dipping your toe in the water from shared savings um, to some downside all the way to full capitation, um, depending upon the market. And I've also seen the payers really looking to offer more resources to the providers, giving them tools as well as people resources to help them um, if they need it, uh, all in the name of this migration away from traditional fee-for-service to value-based reimbursement. Yeah, and, and, and I perceive you as sort of a national leader in this space uh, because of you know, focusing on the transition from fee-for-service versus value-based reimbursement. So what are your thoughts on the impact on the recent, and this is a recent final rule called risk-adjusted data validation, so RADV. So what is your thoughts on the recent impact on the RADV final rule on impact on contract negotiations with payers? I think the first thing to be aware of is to the extent you're a provider or supplier with a Medicare Advantage contract, that this rule means that there's going to be the potential for takebacks. And it could be a, a sizable sum if extrapolation is used. So what does that uh, mean for you is, there's going to be more of a focus on what usually is kind of a pass it by in your contract, which is the standard Medicare regulatory addendum. Um, there's going to be more of a push to put the onus on the providers to get their uh, complete and accurate coding timely and correct on the front end um, and to do as much upfront as possible in terms of making sure the right codes are appearing on the claim, um, amending claims if they don't have all of the codes. Again, just, just really much more of a focus on that provision in your contract that talks about the RADV audits. Yeah, and in, in, in these type of arrangements, you now it, whether it's value-based or with um, you know, fee-for-service, we always worry about you know, making sure that we appropriately document the services rendered and making sure that we're billing for the correct services rendered. And so there's this theory of takebacks. And I put that in air quotes. And a lot of people on uh, you know, Stark Integrity know that I do a lot of air quotes in, in this podcast. But you know, how can we mitigate the risk of takebacks in this new era of value-based reimbursement? Well, from a process perspective, is making sure you've got a good process in place for complete and accurate coding, that that's worked into the workflow and you audit um, on a periodic basis. From a contracting perspective, don't just bypass that regulatory agenda, read it. Uh, read it, and it is negotiable. Not completely negotiable, but there are provisions within those uh, you know, documents that go beyond what's required in the, the regulations, which is fine, um, and understand the rules, read the regulations, understand what the expectations are, and then you know what, what is fair, fair game? What is required versus what can be negotiated? And if you're in trouble or you, you feel like you ran over your head, we can help. We can help you walk through that those documents, those requirements, and understand what your obligations are 
and what really uh, you should be doing with the payers um, and, and, you know, acting more of a, a partner, um, but knowing when things are overreaching and, and there is an opportunity to push back and make sure it's fair for both parties. Yeah, which means call Christine. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, make sure if, if there are issues out there. And, uh, and obviously, this is a, a podcast called Stark Integrity. There are stark law implications that apply to value-based compensation reimbursement arrangements. So what are some of the issues that you're thinking about from a stark law perspective if a like a hospital system has a referral relationship with a physician that's part of a value-based arrangement? So I think that, you know, this push to partial and full risk presents several opportunities for stock stark planning. And I think the first thing to keep in mind is you might have multiple components because not all payers are going to progress along the continuum to risk at the same time. So you might have um, you might have to keep track of, of several different things at once. But that being said, um, you have some strategic planning opportunities for restricting referrals and aligning incentives under the exceptions. And so I think that making sure that you understand the opportunities that are available, the shift to value base means that a lot of the traditional needs for the Stark rules are going away. It's not a matter of um, medically unnecessary services and you want to just be able to focus on what you're doing where you are with are with your network development it's a great way to address leakage issues in a compliant manner um, that's also helping to improve relationships with the payers as you go down the path to risk and value-based contract yeah and now i'm going to sound like a cheerleader <laughs> uh, I am so excited to join Nelson Mullins and have Christine as part of the team because in my former firm, we did not have a great opportunity to look at deferred compensation opportunities with respect to value-based arrangements. And Christine brings a wealth of knowledge to the firm and uh, you know, any uh, stark integrity listeners that are out there that are looking at deferred compensation opportunities for their clients, Christine is the person in the country <laughs> that can help you. So, you know, tell us a little bit about the deferred compensation opportunities and how that intersects with the value-based arrangements. So, the so as you think about value-based reimbursement, you, you obviously have to think about what that means for your compensation arrangements with your providers. Value-based reimbursement entails a different mode of care delivery, and you need to incentivize the providers appropriately. The traditional RVU-based compensation model won't, won't cut it. If you're at the beginning, in other words, you're, you really haven't um, gone too far, you can, in addition to the, you know, your base salaries, you can look at deferred comp arrangements as a mechanism to address the issue that you don't want to have takeaways for your providers, but you'd like to incentivize them to have an ongoing relationship and to stay with you. And by implementing metrics 
and a mechanism to have them vest over a period of time, that's encouraging them to stay in the game. It's not a takeaway, it's an additional earnings opportunity. So it accomplishes, um, on the one hand, the provider having an opportunity to earn a bonus, and on the other hand, the provider for whom retention is extremely important, um, especially in this day and age where a lot of providers experience experiencing burnout and the like, deferred compensation offers a nice alternative to keep as part of the toolkit of um, possibilities to be creative with your compensation planning. And maybe I'm overstating this, but it, it is not a restrictive covenant. It's more of a deferred compensation arrangement that's tied into a value-based arrangement. And, and Christine and I have worked with a couple of clients uh, on that initiative, and I think that that is a huge thing for healthcare organizations today to focus on how can we retain our employee positions and use the value-based arrangement and the deferred compensation arrangements together in order to, you know, hopefully retain physicians in our employment arrangement. Is that basically the analysis? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Exactly right. So we have come to the point of this episode, and this has been awesome, awesome, Christine, to uh, do the three cabinet integrity punch points. And so I want to turn it over to you to provide the three cabinet integrity punch points for this episode today. Sure, I'd be glad to. So the first punch point I would say is consider your strategic planning, design, and strategy for the glide path to risk. That strategy is going to encompass several things, including an evaluation by payer, uh, where you are evaluating payer relationships, pressures, opportunities, uh, what your network is. If you're taking on risk, you need to ensure you have the right uh, additional providers within the network to be able to take on risk for a patient uh, population which entails looking at referral sources and, of course, being mindful of and taking advantage of the new Stark exceptions that offer opportunities to do that. I'd say the second point is that Medicare Advantage contract, looking at that regulatory addendum, dust it off, review it, and yes, you can negotiate it. That could be another um, thing that you could consider if you reopen contract negotiations when you start to look at value-based contracting, and even more so probably within the next uh, cycle, however often you do your contracting, that's going to be one that you definitely want to have as a focal point. And then the last point would be if you, if you if you're just getting started, you're not sure what to do, you know, there's not a whole lot of appetite for risk. You, you want to ensure that you get, because providers are extremely important. Any type of strategic planning that I've been involved with always have providers at the table. Um, so consider deferred comp as a strategy so that there's not this alarm or worry that compensation is going to be eroded um, because the providers are an important part and providers uh, can include mid-levels and others as well, You know, just, just as an example. Um, but providers need to be involved. They're key to helping understand 
and develop things that are going to work. They're on the front lines of patient care. And deferred comp is another great way to think about ways to compensate them. And also when you're thinking about whether it's deferred comp or bonuses, keep an eye out. CMS is pushing to have a uniform set of quality measures. Anyone who's seen one contract knows that when you look at the next contract, the quality measures aren't all uniform. Um, so keep an eye out for that. That may be a helpful way to figure out which are the right quality measures to measure the providers. So those would be my yeah. three punch points, Bob. Yeah, and, and, and that's a great connection. You know, value-based arrangements are emerging as being a great resource that organizations can use, but we can tie in deferred compensation arrangements or opportunities that actually help retain our important providers. So, Christine, uh, provide your contact information. So, if people from Spark Integrity want to contact you, that you know they have the, your information. Sure. My email address is christine.worthen, W-O-R-T-H-E-N, at nelsonmullins.com. And my office line is 617-217-4649. Christine, this has been great. And uh, I, I really, truly believe that the, uh, the listeners are going to find the intersection between the value-based arrangements and also retention of position arrangements through deferred compensation arrangements. So thank you so much for participating. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.